last name in the podcast game. Ken and Mila are the unacceptable podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the unacceptable podcast. This is Mila and Ken, and we are here today with Daniel Mate. How's it going, everybody? It's going great. You just pronounced my name perfectly accurately off the bat. Amazing. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. I, I, no one ever pronounces my name correctly. So I feel like very. How do you say your name? I've only seen it on we're, the screen. It's okay. We're not going to do a lesson on pronouncing my last name. Well, I'm curious too. We've, we've done it many times. Horaeb? <laughs> yeah, I'm a horror. No, I'm kidding. No, I said Horaeb. Did you just, what did you just call me? <laughs> um, this episode of the podcast trap. Yeah, it's a trap. No, the um. Anyway, I would never, I would never slut shame anybody. That's thank you. Unless they're a real whore. No, but what? What? How do you pronounce your name? Um. No. You know what the weird thing is the term slut shaming. What? And maybe I'm like out of touch. Maybe I'm. I mean, I am. I'm, I am a little old. Yeah. Just trigger warning for your audience. If old people scare you, I'm 44. We're we're old at heart. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, if you're gonna fat shame someone, you're fat shame. You're you're shaming someone for being fat. Mm-hmm. If you're gonna kink shame, you're gonna shame someone for having a kink. We we're pro kink shame in the podcast. Well, that's fine. I'm, but I'm just I'm just talking <laughs> linguistically here. Yeah. When I've never understood it, but, and I understand like people find it to be a useful term. It means something. Mm-hmm. But there is no such thing as a slut. Like a slut itself is... It's a derogatory. It's a derogatory. It's like one yeah. of the ugliest words ever invented it's true. to enforce violently a system yeah. of domination of one group over another mm-hmm. sexually. So then to say that you're slut shaming, like would you ever say slave shame? Or like... Right. You know, yeah, it, I see it, what you mean. Yeah, it, it accepts the premises. It, yeah. <laughs> it accepts the premises that you should be trying to overturn. Yeah. But I guess that's part of the whole thing of like, Reclaiming it's or about co-opting reclaiming, or whatever. Yeah. I guess I'm ambivalent about that. I, I think that's like a part of like big lib politics, you know? Right. Part of big lib. Big lib. Yeah. Um, wow, we, do, we, we dove right in, didn't we? We did. We're, and you didn't no even get guard. to explain, introduce yourself. So do you want to first introduce yourself? To the I let my hot take speak for me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, okay, well, I'm Daniel. Uh, as you said, um, I live here in Victoria. I'm originally from Vancouver. Um, I've spent also years of my life in places like Montreal and New York City for 10 years. Um, did a psychology philosophy degree at McGill. So you and I have the same. Cheers. Omar. And I did a degree, a master's degree in musical theater writing at, at New York University. Shit. Tisch School of the Arts, baby. And then I lived in New York for about eight or nine years after that. and I have or had until COVID a career in writing musicals. I'm a composer and a lyricist and I guess a script writer. They call it book writing in, in musical theater. And when COVID hit, I was in Seattle rehearsing the world premiere of one of my musicals, which then closed on opening night. Oh no. So that's part of what I do. And I guess we can get into other things there. And, and I'm just really happy to be on. This is like the first time I've been on a podcast to talk about Oh my god! Just like stuff. Wow! And uh, I've been a a follower and a fan of yours on Twitter, and uh, excellent. And I know that that's how the Chapo guys met. So maybe maybe <laughs> big things are in store. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, we we definitely we've been like on a roll with having musicians on the pod. So recently we had Ben Norton on, who is a um, very good musician and good uh, colleague of my brother's. Yeah, yeah, uh, we had a lot of fun with Ben, and uh, we we started by uh, discussing jazz. Um, so we have to first ask you for your take on jazz before we move on. Just uh, I think uh, sure. I mean, the, my boring take on jazz is I think jazz is important. I think without jazz, we wouldn't have mm -hmm. rock and roll. We wouldn't have soul. We wouldn't have funk, hip hop. Um, I love the musical language of jazz. I, I you know, I I write musical theater, but I'm not a show tunes guy. I didn't grow up watching musicals. Mm -hmm. I got into it because I thought the combination of music and theater would be interesting. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and I've learned about it kind of immediately as I've gone. But a lot of my songs tend to be infused with like different genres that I love, and and there's definitely jazz in there. Um, I gotta say, you know, and here here I will state my claim as an old person. Like <laughs> Steely Dan is my favorite band in the world, and okay. what they did so well is they created somehow rock music that like grooved like R and B modulated chord changes like jazz and had like razor sharp mm -hmm. specific lyrics that like told really subversive weird twisted stories yeah and i i think that's exciting and, and jazz as a musical language specializes in like mixed feelings and in between mm -hmm. stuff because of the dissonance and the sort of all the different voicings and stuff and i like that i i prefer I, or I, I don't i sometimes prefer that complexity to like just you know chord 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 yeah pop or folk or whatever but i i have room for almost every single genre on the planet i'm i'm, I'm a musical sponge very agreeable yeah. i a little a lesser known fact uh, about me to the listeners is i was in a few musicals growing up really i didn't uh, know that i don't really boast about it like in sta i used to feel lame um no i did like a lot of dance growing up oh okay mom taught ballet um so when I did ballet and like modern and jazz, I was in, um, so I was in Pinocchio. Stage musical Pinocchio? Yeah. Huh. Was it based on a Disney movie? Uh, I, I think so. I don't know what it was based on. It was just, it was a Pinocchio one. I, I was just a dancer in it though. I didn't okay. sing in that one. Um, and did you get to be a marionette? Uh, no, I can't even remember. I was so young. I don't even remember what I did. And then I did this other one, but I forgot the name of the musical, but it's the one where you sing about the balloon. Because I remember singing the song, like, Up, Up, and Away, and My Beautiful Balloon. I um, don't know it. And then... <laughs> I know Mary Poppins has the kite, but... Yeah, yeah, no, it wasn't Mary Poppins. So then there was that one. And then I was in Wizard of Oz. And then, um... What did you do in the Wizard of Oz? Like, a munchkin? All of it was dancing and, like, a little bit of singing. But what did you do? Like, were you a character or just an abstract? No, no, just like a dancer in the background. Because I don't, like, I, I wasn't, I was never into, like, singing and dancing at the same time. I actually only recently started singing a few years ago. Um, I, oh. yeah, I, like, sort of uh, shied away from it when I was in high school. Just stuck to, like, piano and drums and guitar. Just, just piano no. and guitar. <laughs> I, you know, I was basically but, just sort of the no. Lebanese Canadian Stevie Wonder. But, no, no big deal. No, but actually, I was mostly just piano, and the other ones like on the side. Yeah. Um. But yeah, no, like I. Do you sing your own stuff? Yeah, yeah. So 
Can I interview you for this? Yeah, now, now you're going to be like coming on and interviewing me. Well, this is a getting to know Yeah, session, so we, right? we are, I mean, we're a, we are a musician podcast. Indeed. So uh, Ken also, Ken has a YouTube channel, so he has some stuff out. No way. Um, yeah. And uh, I'm going to be, I'm trying to release an album, but I've been like really struggling with audio. Mm. Um, <laughs> so yeah. But that's that when it comes to music. Um, so we heard that, so I was reading that you were writing two books right now. Well, in, um, what's the word, consecutively. So currently mm -hmm. just one and then there'll be another. But oh, okay. So they're like, like chronological. Yeah. Well, okay. they're not even related to each other. Okay. They just happen to be written by me and the same guy. Oh, okay. So do you want to tell us about that? Yeah, sure. <laughs> so my dad and I are, uh, are collaborating now, which is wild. Um, and we have been for a few years, but not on books. We, we've been, uh, for those who don't know, my dad's name is Gabor Mate, and he's a Vancouver-based uh, doctor and author. And I think he's been getting a fair bit more well-known over the past mm -hmm. 10 years. He was always pretty well-known in Canada. He got like the Order of Canada, which is wow. pretty amazing. Yeah. Uh, he used to work in the downtown east side. But I'm not going to spend my time here talking about him, goddammit. He can speak for himself. Uh, but I'm working with him. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and um, we started leading uh, a workshop together like five years ago, almost on a whim. Um, Interesting. So, well, someone, I don't know, they, they happened to see us together and they thought we'd be good on stage together. And they're like, okay, what well, can we do a workshop about? Mm -hmm. And I think I suggested, well, what if we did a workshop about the relationship between adult children and their parents Damn. Or parents and their adult children which is a topic it's that heavy. like you would think well hey yeah it's heavy and yet we don't talk about it yeah do you know how many books there are on parenting yeah yeah, yeah. You know how many books there are on letting go of your elderly parents when they die or are senile mm -hmm. what about the intervening like decades those, those years yeah you know? interesting and i think part of the reason we don't talk about it is that we kind of just take it for granted it's fine and we just get through it and either you have a good relationship or you have a shitty relationship or you're estranged or it's fine you see each other thanksgiving christmas whatever and we don't ever interrogate well what keeps it the way it is right and how do we actually want it to be yeah um and it's a tricky and unique relationship for a lot of other structural reasons you know mm -hmm. so we we sort of just jumped in and um it went really well and the video of it went up on YouTube and it now has like 300,000 views. Yeah. Okay. We'll link it in the yeah. description. Yeah. So there's several years, but the first one, I think from 2015 maybe okay. uh, is, uh, or, or 2016, no, 2015 mm -hmm. um, is, is sort of the most popularly viewed one. But uh, so that's one of the books we're writing. Okay. And, you know, at, at a certain point after four or five years of workshops, refining it, getting a curriculum, oh. kind of, did it on the fly mm -hmm. but working with a lot of people people come alone people come with their parents people come some people come with a, you know a deceased relative in mind oh, they still wow. have a relationship with them obviously right yeah yeah, yeah. and okay. all these different configurations um and we've learned a lot from them so now we're going to be writing a book and, and the workshop has the same title as the book which is hello again a fresh start for parents and their adult children wow Damn, that's yeah. like, that's really heavy. I never think about stuff like that. Because I feel like usually when you think about the tense stuff with uh, parents and children, I think about like teenage years. Mm -hmm. Like when I was a teenager, my mom and I would just be like at each other all the time. Yeah. And then we got like closer as we ended the teenagehood. <laughs> yeah. 
so I never think about like repairing it as a adult well so you said the word repair i didn't oh okay yeah not well, I mean, repair, so there yeah. may be there may be mm-hmm. quote-unquote repairs to be done mm-hmm. at the very least there's upgrades right there's yeah. reboots because is this one relationship and again look sometimes there are relationships that either need repair or feel irreparable right and some people legitimately validly say you know what it's just not worth my time mm-hmm. i have an abusive parent my child i cannot relate to my child and although in their heart they may wish for it, it's like they make that choice and that's cool. Because it's an optional relationship, actually. Yeah. When you're a parent of a kid, you don't get to opt out. Right. If yeah. you do, you're like... Unless you're Rousseau. What did Rousseau do? Or Augustine. What did Augustine do? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> this is just me nerding out. No, um, what? Apparently... Deadbeat dads yeah, throughout history? Apparently they were like deadbeats. Um, the greatest deadbeat dads of all time? Yeah, greatest deadbeat dads of all time. But, but like, give us more info. Did they just like ditch? I, I know Rousseau like left his kids in orphanages, right? Yeah, and then Augustine had a bunch of like mistresses. And then like when he found his... Before he like was a born again Catholic. It's always... Well, he was just a player in his 20s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah pretty much pretty much and uh he was actually the first person to coin the term player hater yeah 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 exactly it's a it's a translation from uh the berber language um, wow what le- yeah where, i don't where? know i'm just kidding i don't have is no that true no, no. no. <laughs> is that a turkish no it's like it's a indigenous group in north africa which obviously was a Pardon. Okay, that's right. Yeah, you know, I used yeah. to sell Persian carpets down near Granville Island in Vancouver, really? uh, okay. and we had Berber rugs. I actually smuggled a, a rug <laughs> from Turkey to Canada well done. because the, the <laughs> import taxes were so large. So I was like, no, it's not. <laughs> so we, I smuggled it. What um, were they at? Or just rug. We just like hit. It. We didn't declare it, and we like hit it in the secret. Where? What are the dimensions? Just like a. <laughs> The full, I don't know the actual dimensions, but like it covers like some good ground. It's a very pretty rug. Well done. Yeah, I really, it's some of my finest work actually. <laughs> um, and that was the last time I've ever been to Turkey. And like I've talked so much shit about Erdogan since being there that I'm not really worried about admitting about smuggling a rug or whatever because they're not going to let me back in anyway by the way if i use the word unacceptable in a sentence is like a siren going to go off and no like, you just, you get confess- bonus points yeah. okay. <laughs> i was trying to sneak it because I, I could have said unacceptable yeah <laughs> i bet the tsa would have said that's unacceptable you get like a ron howard voice that goes hey that's the name of the show right exactly or peewee her do you ever watch peewee's playhouse it's way no, before your time no you have today's special word or the See, secret that, word of the day that just, yeah. sounds, that just sounds like jordan peterson i know it's true i know i know, I know. yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, so you flew with the rugs from Turkey to Canada? Back to the rugs. Let's get back okay, to the rugs. Okay, yeah, back to the yeah, I need to sort this out. You, <laughs> yeah, I brought you, a rug. You blew it from Turkey to Canada, mm-hmm. and you had it in your suitcase. Mm-hmm. How much space did it take up? A lot. Like half? Like an unreasonable like, amount, yeah. Did you get paid to do it? No, I just wanted it, and I didn't want to pay. Oh, you just, it was for yourself. It wasn't a commercial enterprise. No, no, no. Oh, I, okay. You were smuggling it for someone else. Yeah. no no but uh i mean i was like you know what i might i don't know when i'm gonna be back in turkey i want to bring this rug home gotta do it so take what you want probably won't be back there for a while anyway <laughs> so 
I hear that the Turkish ambassador to Ottawa is, uh, is a big fan of this podcast. So oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's checking canceled it. He's in, checking in, in it. whatever the word the Turkish word for cancellation is. Yeah, right? I don't right. know. If you're a Turkish listener, then uh, let us know what the word is. Yeah. Hey Nazli, how's it going? <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm seeing a Turkish girl, and she's a listener, so she can let us know. We can talk about yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so you're writing this this book. So that's, that's that's the second book that we're not currently writing. Oh, okay. So what's the, the one you're currently writing? The first the one we're currently writing. So that one will be Hello Again by Gabor Mate and Daniel Mate. Mm-hmm. That's like a fifty fifty collab. Okay. This one is Gabor Mate with Daniel Mate. And I don't know what that okay. makes me, like the sub co-author, right. the, the ghost writer out in the open. Like, I don't know what. Interesting. Um, but essentially, it's his next book. It's his fifth book. He has four previous. Um, he hasn't put one out in like 12 years, almost 13 years. Oh, wow. Uh, Hungry Ghost was the last one. That was 12 years ago? Yeah, 2007, 2008. Uh, yeah. yeah, I only recently discovered it just because like I new people going through addiction they just wanted to learn more and mm-hmm. i was like oh okay i'll check yeah. this out a lot of people found out about it either on democracy now or like russell brand's podcast yeah i heard him on russell brand's he was podcast. on alanis's podcast talking about it yeah and i heard him on pushback but you know what the thing about alanis's podcast was she yeah. talked more than he did <laughs> it's called it's, it's called weird. conversations with alanis okay yeah and it did it was a conversation with alanis. it was yeah okay interesting yeah well, so that was a really fascinating book because I thought it was very compassionate, but also yeah. informational. Like it yeah. was, so it, it, it struck this rare balance of like, you know, humanizing subjects in it, but also using the experiences with the people in it to yeah. be like, this is medically, I don't know, I feel like it debunked a lot of like common orthodoxy. Well, that, that they even needed to be quote unquote humanized yeah. says something, right? Yeah, like, exactly. And yeah, and he, he drew parallels, but he, he talked about addiction as kind of a universal process, a dynamic, mm-hmm. which is both psychological, emotional, biological, spiritual, which means that he himself is not so different than, in some ways, not so different than his downtown East Side clients, except yeah. he's got a lot more comfy cushy addictions right you know that don't in our society don't threaten his livelihood or his health or yeah like that. but that's yeah. All, also fun anyway so that's the last book this one is called uh the myth of normal illness and health in an insane society oh my god i feel like i was just talking about this with everyone oh yeah but i don't know if this is the topic that you're talking about but i've been trying to like theorize about mental illness and it so what's it your just theory? being like a symptom of living in a society. Boom. <laughs> you, just, you, just, you just described like chapter 18. Amazing. Yeah. We'll have to get him on the pod too. And, um, yeah, not right now. He's up to his ears in it. And he needs, yeah, to, he needs sure. to focus. Okay, later on. But, but yeah, okay, so interesting. So tell us more about that. So this is a book that he's been pregnant with basically for like 10 years. Mm-hmm. He did a talk once that was called How Capitalism Makes Us Sick. Mm-hmm. And it was really popular online. And Very then, Mark Fisher. Mark Fisher, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think I know the name. He wrote Capitalist Realism. Okay. And he kind of also talks about how we, like, there's an ins- or we depoliticize mental illness, yeah. and like, especially think with things like stress. Yeah. And like anxiety related illnesses, and like people are ang- anxious due to like the uncertainty yeah. under our current system. 
um but we try to like pathologize it and totally. essentialize and medicalize and whatever Abnormalize. yeah exactly right. as, as if as if they're differing from some healthy norm yeah yeah but the thesis of the book is that in fact what's taken to be normal in our culture across the board is heavily unnatural when it comes right. to what human beings need and human health because human health is a function of, of being whole and getting our needs met yeah and our society is maybe not deliberately but explicitly set up not to meet those needs and in fact to contravene them in major ways and then to normalize that right which then creates added stress so then the manifestations of it i mean it's going to be my dad's biggest book um it's kind of his magnum opus which is yeah. partly why i'm aboard to sort of help guy i mean my, my my i have multiple jobs one of them is kind of lightening the prose a little bit you okay. know, because yeah you know, he's a, he's a really good writer. He's also a 76 year old Hungarian. Right. Uh, uh, so, so I definitely have edited my dad's essays as well. Right? Yeah. Because English is the third language. My so. dad. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. So my dad's like <laughs> way more than fluent in, in English. He's yeah. very articulate, but, uh, I think we wanted, he wanted the tone to be a little brighter yeah. and, and, and to make sure, cause it's such a vast topic and such a widely applicable topic younger maybe like a little like make sure that the sort of it's just more inviting to right. a larger yeah. and also my dad has a following right of like very devoted like he talks about trauma and illness and health and there are there is a sector of society who are already on that tip okay. who are like plumbing the depths of their psyche for their trauma who are healing there's other people who are just kind of not in that world and yeah. yet this book applies to them too right and yeah. we didn't want the book to preach to a choir with while while unnecessarily excluding yeah you know or while giving while stylistically giving like i don't know reviewers opportunities to kind of dismiss it out of hand because it seems woo-woo yeah because yeah, yeah. it's actually not woo-woo there's a ton of like yeah. hard science in it well because i read another book um by basil vanderkoe yeah and i was not that impressed by it like I thought that like, uh, like I was- Is it The Body Keeps the Score? Yeah, yeah, yeah. like it seemed kind of woo to me. Well, there, so there is this tone and I mean, it's a world, right? These, these, yeah. these worlds create a culture and the culture creates a language and the language creates a vibe and then you immediately feel it and you feel that. Mm -hmm. you know. So part of my job is to make the prose and the references and just as, as both persuasive and inviting as I can yeah. and to make sure the arguments are presented you know with you're a philosophy student right mm -hmm. I remember being at McGill what turned me on the most about philosophy was like rigorous argumentation yeah and yeah. and generous argumentation mm -hmm. yeah and my dad's someone who's so sure in what he's saying mm -hmm. and he's so committed to the message because he sees the suffering in the world right that sometimes the argument can be a little bit rushed or, or sort of you could sort of assume that people will know certain things yeah, yeah so yeah. i'm just there in in a variety of roles but anyway i was getting at what the book's about and, and just in terms of the manifestations of the unnatural culture we live in physical illness stress is a precursor for or a contributor to cancer autoimmune right. diseases of all kinds so-called mental illnesses addiction um alienation it has an impact on how we raise kids right yeah uh you know so we're looking at many concentric circles all the way from the cellular level 
you know, how, how we're actually um, biopsychosocial mm-hmm. creatures, is yeah. what the science says, except mainstream medicine hasn't incorporated these insights yet. It's Interesting. Still very dualistic. There's the mind and there's the body, and never the twain shall meet. Okay, yeah, cool. Because we, okay, so Ken and I have had like debates with my brother about mainstream medicine. <laughs> Your brother is uh, a doctor? Or he's... he's, so he's a, he just finished his biology degree. Yeah. Uh, he's applying to med school, and we were expressing some skepticism about how like mainstream medicine kind of operates. Mm-hmm. And he was kind of like, guys, you just got to trust it. Like, you got to trust the community or whatever. <laughs> well, because it's this, it's, this, it's this tricky thing because a lot of the people out there, at least on the internet, that I see questioning the mainstream, like there's very good reasons to question the way mainstream medicine operates. Right. But you okay. see a lot of woo-woo, like anti-vaxxing, like, mm-hmm. like conspiracy theory, and like people just going way to the other side. Mm-hmm. And it makes you kind of want to go back like, just like, like it, yeah. it's polarized, right? Yeah. As a, like my dad's a doctor. He was trained as a, in Western medicine. Right. He's spoken to a ton of other doctors, psychiatrists, um, neurobiologists, endocrinologists who dissent from traditional, mm-hmm. who see the limitations of the Western model. There's nothing wrong with Western medicine. It's just limited and it doesn't know it's limited. Right. You know. So is there like a non-Western form of medicine that is referred to here that is more favorable in that model i think what's being advocated is not one or the other but a synthesis of all the best of all of them i mean there's there's no non-western medicine that can go in there and surgically remove a a, like or or do a a kidney transplant right there are things that western medicine does that are actually miraculous right and most western trained doctors would never think to ask a person with ibs or fibromyalgia or mm. prostate cancer about the stresses in their lives. Right. The emotion, yeah. the life they've lived, their upbringing, mm-hmm. their beliefs about themselves, which is not to say that people cause their own illnesses or that it's all reducible to like, definitely last thing I want this book to be is reductive. Right. But there are factors that are demonstrable and there's plenty of research to show that there's these connections between the psyche and the soma the mind, the body, the emotions, and we know the pathways of how they work. Um, but Western medicine continues to sort of mystify these things and call these conditions idiopathic, which means unknown origin. Idiotic, no, <laughs> Right, uh, idiopathic. Yeah. So anyway, I feel like I'm talking a lot, but- No, but, no, it's interesting. So, but that that's the sort of thrust of it and, and the concentric circle of moving from the individual to the interpersonal, the intrapersonal to the interpersonal mm-hmm. to the community, family and now the part we're writing right now which is like section four of five it's about capitalism okay and just how the economic system and inequalities and i get to write a chapter about popular culture that'll be my oh, one fun. my one chapter in daniel's voice and i'm okay. working on that right now and and my thesis or what i'm trying to explore is how does pop culture sell us this myth of normal okay how yeah. does how is it like the propaganda arm of right unintentionally really of of a lot of these um, misconceptions and illusions that keep us from really taking control of our own wellness and, right. and yeah. true agency in, in the world. I So, I mean, I've always, like, I've been interested in mental health discourse and pretty open about my time with mental health experiences. And yeah. I feel like I've been very, like, in and out of the mental health care system since, like, the last... Let's wrap. Come on. 10 years. Let's, let's get into it. Yeah, you yeah. And let's me both. Get into it. And so I've always been very skeptical and almost like hostile against like the psychiatric, psychological sure. system. 
um not hashtag not all psychiatrists or whatever like, <laughs> not, like talking shit about your dad or whatever my dad's um, not a psychiatrist that's oh, a common okay. misconception he's, oh, an, he's an md he's a, okay. he, was, he was a gp and then a palliative care doctor and then an addiction counselor and right yeah now he's retired so so i mean and like i still you know i still in a sense like partake in the system like i take uh, medications and stuff but mm -hmm. i i've always been kind of because i feel like there's a ten tendency to sort of like pathologize normal reactions to things 100%. and then also kind of i don't know because i just feel like i've never met someone who's not mentally ill and so, well, right. I mean, to, what, what is it? What Krishnamurti says it's it's no mark of, adju of adjustment to be well adjusted to a profoundly yeah. maladjusted society or something. Yeah, and so I just feel like the model in a lot of mental health care systems is like like it posits a normal state 100%. of a mental being, but then I never really meet or even observe anyone that exhibits this no so-called normal. And state. in fact, the normal state that's posited. Invo necessarily involves a lot of emotional suppression, right? Yeah. Ignoring of body symptoms, you know, right. signals. It, it the normal is is tailored to function mm -hmm. in a deeply fucked up society. System, yeah, yeah. A society that needs people to not listen to the bodies, mm -hmm. that needs people to not value authenticity over, say, employment or codependent relationship or 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 consumerist frenzy, you know. So it's, it's to you're totally right, I think, to look at it askance. And yet, I too am on medication. Right, yeah. And I saw a psychiatrist last year, and it kind of changed my life for the better. And yeah, I had been like, yeah. maybe partly because of like the family I'm from. And like, I'm like, I don't want to see a psychiatrist. I don't want to get medicated. Yeah. And then I got a diagnosis that actually put my entire life in perspective. Mm -hmm. But it, this was the key. I didn't take it to be a definition of me. Mm -hmm. I took it to be one description of a dynamic inside of me. And right. then it gave me the freedom and the space to be like, okay, why is that dynamic there? Interesting. Why might I have naturally, why might, why might my brain have set these particular patterns given the stresses that I was under in childhood, given my perceptions of the world? Can I make sense of it? And the minute I made sense of it, all of a sudden I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I swing, you know, from pole to pole in terms of mood and yeah. my brain works too hard and then it collapses, but yeah. boom, you know? And so that the, the medications weren't the thing and the diagnosis wasn't the thing. And that insight about my life, the psych wasn't the thing. Somehow the three of them together, right. like without one, it wouldn't be complete. Interesting. And, yeah. and psychiatry tend, you know, our approach to psychiatry tends to be, you are this, the DSM-4 says you're that, Right. Uh, yeah. here's the pill, and there's no inquiry into the full human being. And what we all want, I think, is to become whole yeah. human beings for ourselves. And so anytime we get split up into parts, it's like... Yeah, well, I always think about, like, you know, what's your end goal in being in the psychiatric system? And yeah. I think... For me, it's always just been being able to function and do well in like competitive environments. So like, it's, it's not invalid. Yeah, but it's never been about you know like personal fulfillment. It's more like okay, I do better in school if yeah. I'm like medicated. So I think the, be <laughs> the best thing medications can do for people, it seems to me, is a help them get through temporary stresses yeah. that they that they're committed to, like say school. Yeah, if that's important to you, and then but even more importantly get people out of the quicksand mm -hmm. on the solid so they can do that work 
so we can really have the perspective to look into ourselves and inquire with compassion like why is this my pattern whether it's a behavioral pattern a psychological pattern even a biochemical pattern like what is this pattern expressing about the life i live mm-hmm. and that's one of the core themes of the book like right okay that rather than trying to uh, conform to normality if we ask what if we assume that everything that's going on in our body is a natural like you said a natural mm-hmm. response to abnormal circumstances that's a more interesting question to ask. We get more interesting answers yeah. when we inquire in that way. Yeah. So that's like my political theory brain. Right. My, well, like, I took only one psych course. <laughs> what about you, uh, Ken? What's wrong with you? <laughs> uh, <laughs> a lot of what was said was very probably stuff I need to hear, stuff I'm, I'm skeptical about. Because on the flip side, I also see amongst a certain generation of millennial art fans almost a fetishization of mental illness yeah yeah i think that's tied in though yeah like pathologizing of normal behaviors because like you know you saw it too like when people were like oh well you're not really autistic like me on twitter you know where people are like talking about culturally appropriating autism and stuff and like <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry just, i shouldn't laugh but no I mean, but it's true you know you definitely see it like saying like it's made into like an accessory but that, or an that's, identity. But that's why I like to say, you know, everyone is mentally ill because I'm like, you're not special for being mentally ill. Like, it's like <laughs> normal. Like, if you're not mentally ill, I'm more interested. Yeah, the minute you reify it and identify with it, I think you're kind of fucked. I mean, you can get you can get some clout off it, I guess, in the current cultural climate. But like, it's it's a dynamic. It's a fluid thing. It's not. It, it's it's quantum physics. It's not a solid thing. It's it's just a certain pattern in your system. Um, it's interesting what you say about millennials fetishizing it. I I'm a big uh, I'm a big admirer of millennials. Uh, I'm not one, and uh, and I observe millennial discourse online a lot. Yeah, yeah. There's there's so much that I'm not jealous, but I'm I'm like, and I'm not proud either. That sounds like, but I'm just I'm I I, I acknowledge. I sort of give props to the ways in which millennial attitudes and millennial perspectives on again without reifying that too much because mm-hmm. it's an overused thing but millennials see through shit in a way that our generation didn't we thought we did we were mm-hmm. we were jaded but we were just kind of apathetic and and you know and we had a lot going for us too the 80s to me is like the best era in in music like all the different subcultures and before they got all corporatized in the 90s but you guys like there's a kind of, you know that you can't trust what you're being told and you know that you're, you know, your friends are just as wise as, as what they're telling you in mass media and there's a kind of self-reliance. But yeah, that fetishizing of, because mental illness is itself a coping style, right? It's, a, it's an adaptation. To, if, we, if we take the case that it's an adaptation to abnormal circumstances, well, then if you fetishize that, then that's just another way of coping. Mm-hmm. Like you're coping by yeah, yeah, yeah. glorifying yeah. and reifying and like making an identity out of the coping. And that's the thing I see with millennials that I wonder about is this focus on identity. And I don't want to get into like, it's not about identity politics because identity politics as the, per, as the term was first coined by like the Kambahi River Collective, mm-hmm. right? Actually had a concrete yeah. material meaning. Like it means something important that yeah. people 
speak from their experience, like that they're going to experience political issues through the lens of their own experience. And they right. should. But in terms of like these making an identity out of one's mental illness or out of this group or that group, belonging is important. Belonging is great. But to the extent that you think that's who you are. Mm-hmm. Or that's what makes you interesting. It might go hand in hand with kind of a desire to be famous. Like I have all of the things that I hate about millennials. And yeah. so like, like what an interesting biography about this mentally ill person I read. Maybe someday <laughs> someone will read my biography, like that kind of uh-huh. thing. Yeah, but it, yeah, I mean, I don't That's know. Almost like the, it's almost like the sort of hippie generation or Neil Young, you know, it's better to burn out than to fade away. Like yeah. glorifying, like glorifying the rock and roll Sex, yeah. drug, rock and roll. Like, but you're glorifying being miserable. Just to <laughs> yeah. be honest, you're glorifying being low, you're, and you're trying to essentially sublimate your suffering. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's understandable. Yeah. You can't escape from it that way, and you can't escape from it no matter how many Twitter likes you get, or how much positive feedback you get, or whatever. Yeah. Like, ultimately, in the end of the day, you know, we have to deal with ourselves and our yeah. and our lives. So. All of these, every generation copes in different ways and no one is better or worse than any other. But like, yeah, I hear what you're saying that like there's a, that there's that flip side where you can go too far to the other direction. Yeah. And not, and ultimately not be very kind to yourself. Yeah. What, what is a healthier, <laughs> uh, like society look like? Oh, what a vague question. But like, I, I hear your point about like an abnormal, like stressful society that is just not good for people. But like what, um, I know it's a huge question and not necessarily fair, but like what would, what would be better? But like obviously there's, there's easy yeah. steps to take. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's, no, there's no way of answering that question definitively or, or concisely. Mm-hmm. And it, obviously it would have to be created by humans, right? Like no one person is going to have, it's like, you know, blind people blindfolded touching the elephant. Everyone's touching different parts of it and think it's, they have a different experience of it tactilely. But I guess what the book is positing and what makes sense to me is that whatever vision we have of society, you gotta start with certain fundamental questions. Like if I wanted to create an ideal environment to grow chia pets or, <laughs> or weed or- What's a chia pet? A chia pet? Uh, that's an 80s thing. So they, they were, they, like, you'd, it's like a mail order thing where you'd, like, you'd get these like, almost like clay hedgehog looking things that would have seeds in them with little holes and then they would sprout. And oh, they would, yeah, yeah. Yeah, or like sea monkey. Or, yeah. or, 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 or the ideal environment to raise a guinea pig or like, yeah. Society is an environment, okay? And every environment is tailored for a certain kind of life. Mm-hmm. And the basic question that you ask when you're trying to fashion or architect that environment is what does this creature, what does this being need? Mm-hmm. What are its fundamental needs? So then we'd inquire into what are human needs. Well, we kind of know what human being needs are. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's food, clothing, water, shelter, some occasional sex, you know, uh, all that kind of stuff. State-mandated sex. State-mandated sex. Not too much, though. But only sex-positive sex. Oh, yeah, only sex-positive sex. Only sex. I, I, no. I'm more aroused by sex-negative sex. <laughs> Was that? No, yeah, just kidding. I, I said I'm more aroused by sex negative sex. I actually like having sex double negative sex. Double negative. <laughs> it sort of cancels itself out. It doesn't even happen. Well, yeah, there we go. I think what would minim- what would uh, decrease like mental illness is, is minimizing uncertainty. 
Um, uncertainty is one of the main, we were just writing, I was just writing a chapter about this today. Wow, amazing. Uncertainty is one of the main stressors, psychological stressors for human beings. Mm -hmm. Loss of control, uncertainty, conflict, and something else, I forget. Yeah. So, you, so I think, you know, having some sort of safety net for basic needs, I think would minimize a lot of mental illness. Right. So going back to what those needs are. Mm -hmm. But I we don't believe to, in state-provided sex. I think you all deserve to be deprived of sex forever. Well, I mean, who wants to be fucked by the governor general? <laughs> um, by the queen, actually. By the queen, yeah, or both. Everyone gets a state-mandated waifu. Or, like. what, or, or what about Trudeau Timberlake, you know? Yeah, no, yeah. Um, everyone wants that. And so so what are our needs? Our, well, we need to be ourselves. We need to have an environment where we can, where we can, where we can explore our authenticity and grow into our, you know, yeah. child need. we need attachment we need healthy relationships we need to be, to be attuned with we right. need yeah. calm present attention for brain development as well as for emotional maturity no almost no kids fully get that in this society because it's impossible for parents to fully focus it's not parents don't love their kids mm -hmm. it's just there's all these constraints Interesting. we need um meaningful work right we need me you know um, so Marx has things to tell us about what we need. Freud has things to tell us about what we need. Chomsky has still things to tell us about what we need. I'm sure there's some women too. I'm just not thinking of them. Uh, no, actually, we, this is an anti-woman. Uh, oh, okay. Just, no. <laughs> so I can let misogyny fly free. Yeah, you can let it fly. Yeah. Free. I'm a man for the purposes of this. Episode. Oh, you millennials really are cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. No. <laughs> so you know what I'm saying. So in terms of what you're. Yeah. Kind of what would it look like? I don't know, but there's certain principles it would be based on, mm -hmm. and we yeah. have to get straight about what those are. Now, the answers to those questions, what do we need? They're uncontroversial. Mm -hmm. We just don't act, we know, we just don't act on them. Right. Because capitalism doesn't give a shit about any of those things, because they're not, you can't capitalize on them. Well, capitalism's amoral, in my opinion. 100%. Like, I, I think it's like, it doesn't really, there's not like one thing, like there's, because I think there's a mistake that some leftists make where they think like capitalism's necessarily conservative or traditionalist or evil. Uh, yeah, it has evil effects if you want, but whatever. But, evil but it's not. It's it's totally amoral, and that's why now I think capitalism's kind of materializing in liberalism. Oh, 100 percent. And in like liberal culture. Yeah sort of or like liberal like uh, what do you call it like i, I don't want to sound like problematic but Please liberal vibes <laughs> but just like in progressive language okay so can we talk about cardi b and megan okay so i didn't watch that you video watch but but you can tell us All right, so it's already problematic for me to bring it up in anything other than in like an, a lot like a, like an exultatory Hooray celebration. Party endorsed Bernie. I know. I God love her for that. And I loved all her PSAs and I love their conversations. I got nothing. It is not a personal criticism. Mm -hmm. There's no shaming going on here. Okay. And look, I'm We're a pro shaming podcast. I'm a white middle-aged dude with a COVID mustache and <laughs> you know, like it's what, the mustache that really makes you not want to talk about. And, and so it's, you know, in a sense, it's not my lane. And yeah. I live in this world. Yeah. And you know, but you're uh, on a podcast. I'm on a podcast. So so you got to, you got to give hot takes. Yeah. So I watched the, the, this video WAP, you know, which, you know, what it stands for. Mm -mm. You want to know what it stands for? Yes. You want to know? Yeah. First word is wet. Okay. Oh, wet I can. Wet, pussy. wet ass pussy. Wet oh. ass. I thought it was going to be wet open pussy. Oh, it's WAP with an A. Okay. 
wet hyphen as, so as used as the sort of intensifier, you know, or or whatever grammatical syntactic. It's function. an ass pussy. Yeah, wet ass pussy. And there's this video dropped. It now has 30 million views, or at least it did a few nights ago. I'm sure by now it's 100 million. Okay. And you know, it's Cardi B and 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 Megan Thee Stallion, who I don't know. I hear she's a really talented rapper, and I'm yeah, she's I'm good. A huge hip hop fan. She's on the running playlist for me for sure. Awesome. That's all I know. Yeah, these two <laughs> seem like really talented. Yeah. Uh, creative people, you know, mm -hmm. and at least I know Cardi's come from like very adverse background. Mm -hmm. And I listened to her first album. And I'm like, I mean, yeah, it was racy and naughty and in your face. I thought it was delightful, mm -hmm. you know, in a lot of ways. This video is like the two of the, it's like the most porny thing, like hardcore porny thing. Like they're just in this mansion that's like, like sluicing with water. Wow. Uh, you know, uh, statues spraying, I don't know, water or milk or something from their tits. Oh, the fuck yeah. So they're, they're, like, they're like slithering around on the ground, like tongue kissing each other while snakes are like hissing around. And the lyrics are like, you know, I want to gag, I want to choke, I want you to touch that dangly thing in the back of my throat. I mean, it's like, so it's one of these like, you get, you get the shtick, right? Just yeah. like, dancing in the background. This is like, this is like a bold. Have you heard the song, Jessica? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I was just uh, comforted that I couldn't hear what this conversation was about out there. So then that means you guys couldn't hear what I was saying. Yeah, yeah, we're pretty that sound. Like, so anyway, so so I watched it, and, and I just it made me feel sad. And if it makes someone else excited or feel empowered, that's totally cool. Mm -hmm. But I had this visceral reaction of like, uh, I don't feel like I'm watching two people expressing themselves as much as I'm watching two people express themselves within a very severely constrained system of symbols and language and gender expectations and like hardcore gonzo pornified culture, which basically right. says, and like, it's this, you know, cliche, but like the male gaze, I know that it's purportedly or ostensibly like a celebration of a, empowering female sexuality and who am I to tell any woman that like that shouldn't be their thing or that they shouldn't get anything from that but I'm looking at that I'm like I can't tell the difference between that and something that was just made for for the masculine dude that I'm alleged to be which offends me because that's not who I am right. it's never who I've been okay. and I have this complicated relationship with porn too because I'm not I, I haven't been immune from it right. right so all men are sort of expected to like definitely participate in this pod. it's an important topic right yeah so anyway, that wasn't the worst part of it. The video is what the video is, whatever. Then I, I, I sort of wanted to see what the reviews were and they were 100%, you know, fresh tomatoes. Like, okay. and, but this one review stood out to me in the LA Times and I think the, the headline was, Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion's WAP is a nasty, savage, sex positive triumph. Oh. I hear sex positive, I'm like, nope. <laughs> so, yeah, so yeah, exactly, me too. So I hear sex positive, and what I'm hearing you saying essentially is that if I have any critique of this, or if I'm yeah. uncomfortable about it, or if I see ways in which this is a, an expression of an exploitative, dehumanizing system that dehumanizes all of us and debases sex and, and circumscribes sex in ways that make sex kind of horrible and compounds trauma and is based on trauma mm -hmm. and turns it into a commodity that you can sell and tells women that 
this is what your sexuality should look like, then I'm being sex negative. Mm -hmm. I'm being sex negative if I dissent. And that's literally how it's policed, actually. Yeah. You know? yeah. I just kind of bite the bullet and say, like, I am sex negative. Well, fair enough. <laughs> I can't do that because, you know, I grew up in the era of, like, George Michael, I want your sex. And, like, Kate Bush. Kate Bush was expressing her sexuality in, like, a fucking creative autonomous right. way Ani DeFranco was like my idol in the 90s I'm kind of you know? kidding like I'm not opposed to I know you're not. saying your sexuality whatever I know but I, you're, you're just saying okay fine if I'm sex negative I'm sex negative yeah well I, I I just think like right now I think there's a desire for people to paint their enjoyments as something that's necessarily like politic like yes. political good or yeah, aesthetics or, politics or is aesthetics yeah and like I think you can enjoy stuff without it being virtuous. Like I enjoy totally. a lot of because I, I think there's a lot of media that like is so called problematic or it's by problematic people. And like I think you know you can enjoy it and just say like I'm not gonna pretend that this is politically radical. But I think a lot of people right now, especially when women create stuff, they just want to be like, this is necessarily feminist, right? Right, but neoliberalism loves that. Yeah, exactly. Because now it's about empowerment, not liberation. Now the system doesn't have to change. Now it's just every individual can just choose. And I heard a great talk by a radical feminist named Gail Dines, who, who's written a book about porn, but she did a talk on YouTube about how neoliberalism has defanged feminism. Like, it used to be dangerous, actually. Yeah. Because it was threatening to undo this system of power Right. And now it's saying, well, whatever women choose is empowering. Yeah. Well, okay, that's not politics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like either therapy or aesthetics <laughs> or something, which is fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's totally fine. And no one should be individually shamed, which is why the accusations of shaming are so bad faith, because that's not what it's about. It's about systemic critique. Yeah. But also, I think, you know, I. Like, I you don't... wouldn't, sorry, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, I'm sorry to interrupt, but no, I did, no, I said, okay. I've been itching to say this forever. You, someone criticizing sweatshops, you wouldn't say you're like worker shaming or like sweat, like, mm -hmm. like, no, I'm in, like, I'm interested in like, no, I'm with you. you know, yeah. You're erase, you're invisibilizing the agency of these. Yeah. Now I'm not saying that Cardi B is a, is, is coerced, but it's part, it is part of a system of. Yeah. Well, I think, well that, what right? I'm, yeah. So you can enjoy this stuff without saying it's like feminist, 100%. you know? And if that was the case, I wouldn't be as, I, but, but yeah, I'm very, um, I mean, I've, I've been feeling very alienated and upset with modern feminism. And I've written a, po a blog post about this recently, just because I think a lot like modern feminism now is just basically converged with capitalism yeah. and just been very much about, um, a tool of justifying like imperialism. Mm -hmm. um, Get that money. Well, even if you look like before we started recording, we were talking about the IDF, right? And like they definitely use. No, we were dressing up as the IDF. Come on, we. Oh yeah. We were, we were cosplaying as the IDF. Um, and so you know, but but they taught. They definitely have this sort of. Um, oh yeah. You know, uh, aesthetic uh aim where they kind of dress themselves up as this like feminist army oh and queer like, positive too yeah that's against these like savage sexist arabs you know what i mean 100 well so speaking of the word savage that was in i noticed that in the headline about right, right? it's a nasty savage triumph well what what you know what history do those words have in relationship to black women's sexuality right and is it worth noticing that even just pausing for a second but it's like if you do that Mm -hmm. you're you're pooping the party you're not being fun well what the fuck does that have to do with politics but but yeah i i i think you know 
because you always see these articles come out whenever people produce, like when women produce art now. And I think, like I said, they, they necessarily want it to be politically liberatory yeah. or whatever. And like, I think you can just release it and be like, this is a fun thing without mm -hmm. it being like, this is uh, liberatory. I mean, I really like Kanye, like, and on the pod, we've talked about him a bit and whatever. And I don't agree with all of his politics. And like, I don't think his music is necessarily- I don't agree with all those rap producers' politics. Yeah, but like, he, but my point is like, you shouldn't need to. Of course yeah, not. Yeah, like you don't need He's to. He's one of the greatest rap producers of all time. Just listen. He makes beats. The dude makes amazing beats. to the motherfucking music. Enjoy it. It's going to be okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, he already told you back in whatever, 2007, uh-uh, you can't tell him nothing. <laughs> so just, just well, don't try to tell him anything and just listen. So, so speaking. Oh, and he's he he did a great Steely Dan sample, by the way. Oh, really? On Champion. Oh, oh did they realize that oh, they wow. were a champion yeah, from Kid Charlemagne? I I love that. Steely Dan does the, it forms the best sound. I just I love. But and but and it's great. but speaking of uh, problematic pop culture figures under fire, you recently said that Seth Rogen recently DM'd you mm -hmm. uh, to clear the waters a little bit about his public apology. Because <laughs> yeah. so we had just talked about his public apology yeah. on our last premium app. Oh, interesting. Um, and we were his Oedipal rage. His Oedipal Oedipal rage. Oh, right. That that so that article. You, you read the forward. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't read the forward, but whenever the forward does anything, if that's like Bacha Unger Sargon's. Yeah. Name, oh my God, she's horrible. <laughs> where she went after fucking Ilan Omar. And oh, yeah, that was bad. Yeah. So I don't know if she wrote this one, but she's like the editor there. Yeah, I'm just trying to get my publication, my Jewish publication. There's Jewish Currents now, which is a great publication, where Peter yeah. Beinart published that pro one state solution right. article. Right. And, and that's Bernie published an article on Jewish Currents. Anywhere I might have. But so, yeah, the forward article is like, Dear Seth Rogen, like, American boys need to stop projecting their edible rage on Israel. <laughs> I'm like, he's fucking Canadian, you nitwits. I know. I'm like, how dare you take a Vancouver boy? Yeah. And I'll tell you how I know he's Canadian, because I was his summer camp counselor. Yeah, yeah. So you're saying you're his camp counselor. I was That's his amazing. camp I've known him since he was like 11 years old. That's so And then when funny. he was like 15 or 16, I was his counselor in 97. We got lost in the woods together near Souk, like <laughs> 50 miles from here. We had to be rescued by fucking a search party. There was like an injury among our, and we didn't have the right, anyway. The whole thing. Yeah, I think he's right. He told me he's writing an essay, like a comic essay about it. Okay. So maybe I'll make an appearance in it. Amazing. But anyway, yeah, I used to like sit on his head to get him out of bed. Yeah. <laughs> he would stand up comedy at like the weekly campfire and oh crack everybody up. And he was. So he's always been. He's funny. always been that. He was, you know, and he was just on the verge of doing freaks and geeks. Oh my god! I I just remember. And my brother's friends with his sister. And, oh wow! Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Superbad was hilarious. Like we. Oh man, that's that's our the movie of our group friend group. Yeah, that movie is so funny. Yeah, it seems like a, hey, seems like your Breakfast Club or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe less like less socially something. Right. You know, maybe just like, or, or like less earnest. Definitely. Yeah, not. yeah. What? Yeah, wait, so he apologized to you publicly? No, to me. No, 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 no. no, no. no. Oh, okay. So I was like, I was basically being like, while you, while you run this yeah, topic. yeah. So, so I was basically being like the public apology is such a pathetic thing yeah. um, because it's like someone else trying to beat you into submission basically like it's not about being yeah. morally in the right it's about um people exercising power over you and then daniel sent me a message he's like no no no. okay so like seth rogan messaged me and like he um is not like his mom made him apologize 
He didn't actually. So Seth did apologize. Uh, so has he apologized to like one person? Oh, I thought he apologized to his mom. No, he. So his mom made him apologize to like one person. Um, so for our listeners who don't listen to our preem and to our audience <laughs> here right now, and um, me. <laughs> so so basically, Seth Rogen made some comments about Zionism. Oh yeah, he was um, on a Mark Maron podcast, and yeah. they got to talking about Israel. Mm-hmm. And he basically said Israel's kind of ridiculous. It just, I mean, which it is at this point. I wow, mean, you're canceled. Canary mission. Dude, we're I getting was, canary mission. I was the program day. director at a Zionist summer camp. <laughs> okay, I'm entitled. So, so I'm entitled you, to speak on this. Did shit. you like used to be a Zionist? No. Changed? Oh, okay. I was never. I was always like Zy curious, <laughs> or or anti Zy curious. Okay. Interesting. Um, but I so I had a complicated relationship with it. So I grew up in the Vancouver Jewish community, which is pretty small, pretty conservative. Mm-hmm. When I came to Israel, and my parents sent me to a labor Zionist which means socialist kibbutz oriented. Right. So the, the camp was, and it's on Gabriola Island, right? So you drive an hour north from here to Nanaimo, okay. you take a ferry over to Gabriola. Wow. And every summer I spent my summers at Camp Meriam, and it was an idyllic paradise. <laughs> it was an absolute, it was a beautiful place. Literally, it's a yeah. wonderful camp. Wonderful alternative education, critical thinking skills, socialism, social justice, feminism. It was a, it was like a, almost like a gender-free utopia, like there was no circumscribed... Interesting, you know, okay. Um, some people call, it was called Habonim Dror was the name of so the So it was some group. intersectional imperialism. Before yeah. intersectional was a thing. <laughs> and we just, and, and there was like the Zionist dream of like, Israel was this, this, this Oz. Yeah. It was, this, it was this, this fantasy land. It was somewhere over the rainbow, basically, but we would have Among Israeli... all counts- of us problematic Arabs. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> And we tried to be, and because we were left-wing Zionists, right. we were like enlightened about you, Eric. Yeah, 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 we, yeah. You know, we wanted to do right by you, but of course, there, you know, as Abba Eben said, you never miss an opportunity to miss an opportunity, mm-hmm. and there's no one to talk to. But if there was a Palestinian leader to talk to, we would be at the table. So we were fed a lot of bullshit, essentially. Right. Okay. You know. Yeah. Now, as the no, so that's. But my political awakening happened, so, so the, now the reason I went to this camp, two of my uncles and two of my aunts met at this summer camp. Mm. My cousin met her husband at the summer camp. Wow. My, par- my parents both went there. My dad was a lifeguard. My mom was a, a, a camper at one point. Yeah. The force is strong in my family, you know, <laughs> at this place. And it's a beautiful place. Now, at the same time, I've got a dad who's the most outspoken Jew in Canada about right. the Intifada about the occupation about and about the, really okay, my dad went to he so. went to the west bank on a on a medical site not sightseeing but okay, yeah I what's heard that called the, he went on a medical trip and like i because i heard him on pushback when he was talking about on aaron's show and he was talking about pure nepotism the two of them working together I think. <laughs> well he was talking about how he went to to palestine during like while, while there was war 1987 yeah the first uprising okay yeah okay now you know you have to understand what that meant in the Jewish community. There's my dad on CBC radio. Mm-hmm. I mean, when it comes to circling wagons, there's nothing like the Canadian Jewish community around 1987, 98. Right, okay. The you know, newspapers are showing front page headlines and television, you know, primetime news is showing footage of Israeli soldiers be, I mean, essentially doing what American feds and cops are doing to people now, but worse. 
Well, best friends are best friends for a reason. Exactly, right? <laughs> Bosom buddies. But if they're doing that, it's anti-Semitism. Okay. And we need to be together with Israel in this time of need. Right. And the Arabs are inciting. And it's terrorism. We and, tend to do that. And we are the most moral army in the world. And they, yeah. you know, gold in my ear. You know, we can forgive the Arabs for killing our children. But we can never forgive them for making us kill theirs. And the day that they love their children <laughs> as much as they love killing ours is the I day we love peace. I hate that quote. It's that's, fucking, it's Nazi so, logic. Well, it's, it's pure Nazism as far so, as I'm So concerned. this this woman, she says, yeah, she said the day that Arabs love their children more than they hate us, there will be peace. Yeah. Which yeah. is insane because is like insane. the family is such an a important thing among It's Arabs. not even worth discussing. It, yeah, that's to, true. I, 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 I don't think it's because of the Holocaust. To enter into a debate about it is to lose one's humanity already. Well, it's I just, just, I just want to riff on that phrase, like saying to someone, I can forgive you for breaking my heart, but I can never forgive you for making me break yours. Something exactly. like that. Anyway. Well, there's a term for that. It's called gaslighting. Right, well, yeah. It's also just being a piece of shit. Uh, yes, it is. It's kind of linguistically slick, though. And if we want to be, age of wanna be generous, if we want to be generous, it's taking your trauma out on another people that has nothing to do with your trauma. Yeah. And that's what happened with Israel. I mean, that's well, that's that was my issue with like the fighting with Lebanon, as like because people have been like, okay, well, Jewish communities have been oppressed in the Middle East. So take that, Palestinian. But I'm like. Yes, in like by in Iraq and in like Morocco. They've also lived in peace with Iraqis. They've also had perfectly lived for decades. I mean, yeah, Jews but I, I I also just mean like okay, then seek reparations from these yeah, governments exactly. or seek the right of return from these governments. I'm not opposed to seeking like Iraqi Jewish people seeking reparations from Iraq. I yeah. think that's totally valid. Or a safe haven somewhere. Yeah, yeah, I think that's like, and you know, I think you know here we should definitely oppose anti-Semitism and make, you know, Canada a safe place or the U.S. A safe place. But, like, why are, why take it out on, like, Lebanese civilians, you know? Like, especially in Beirut, it's such a diverse place, and it's like, okay, well, now we're going to try and make it about Hezbollah. Yeah. But, like, not everybody in Lebanon is Hezbollah, even if you're going to put that out there, right? And, like, and even if they were. Yeah. Even if everyone in the world, even if, if even even if Lebanon, everyone in Lebanon was ISIS, you don't bomb civilians. Right. You don't invade countries. I would bomb ISIS, but maybe. That's... Okay, fine. <laughs> but I mean, uh, but Israel's but yeah. like part of its thing is dehumanizing the Palestinians. Little yeah. vipers' nests, mowing the lawn is the is what they say when they go and bomb buildings and shit. So anyway, Israel's gotten much more insane since the time I'm talking about. Right. But back then it was fucking unspeakable what my dad was saying. And he would write art, he would write op-eds in the Globe and Mail. He was on CBC radio live from Ramallah. He was in tears. I'd never seen him cry. I'd never heard him cry before. He was in yeah. tears at what he'd seen in the hospitals. Right. Okay. And then I witnessed, you know, on CBC, he was on a panel show, like a town hall kind of thing, a debate thing. And there were going to be three members of the Jewish community, him and two Arabs. Mm -hmm. And he said to the CBC, look, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. The Jewish organizations are going to threaten to boycott if I'm on there because they can't have a fellow Jew just arguing with them. Right. And the CBC said, no, the CBC said, we've had this kind of thing before. It's all good. Right. And then, of course, it happened and they kicked him off the panel. Really? So oh here God. I am at summer camp, at the Zionist summer camp, and now I'm questioning my Israeli counselor. I'm pushing back. And, you know, I, before Aaron ever did push back, I would push back. 
For <laughs> uh, <laughs> the record. <laughs> but, uh, so you were pushed back before it was cool. Exactly. And then by the time Seth came along, by the time Seth was a camp camper, there was already a lot more space for dissent and disagreement. And so there were some anti-Zionists there, even on staff, okay. questioning the idea of, not anti-Zionists necessarily, maybe like post-Zionists, mm -hmm. or certainly people who, who questioned the historical narrative that placed Israel as the victim and the Palestinians as the obstreperous antagonists. Right. You know, I don't know if I just used those two words correctly, but I think it's not. Yeah, no. I mean, what does I, obstreperous mean? That sounded really good. It's like something to do with ornery or intransigent or like. Let me Google it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a, a beautiful word. word, but I should correct myself if I'm using it. But, right. but I do see some parallels here. Um, I mean, thank God for me, like no one in my family are like, super religious extremist um but Is I, a christian family muslim half half oh wow yeah. actually we have a little bit of, uh jewish family on the so my dad's family they have like jewish and muslim and neapolitan ice cream yeah neapolitan ice cream yeah. um but but my uh great grandmother's like jewish side they converted to islam and so um that's a i, I respect that move <laughs> I, I don't know about that. That might be a lateral move, but I respect it. Uh, no, I think it's just for marriage sake. And then, uh, so yeah, so my dad's side is, is Sunni, but they're all pretty secular. Like, they don't really care. And uh, my mom's side, they're more religious. They're Christian, and they're, like, kind of more, like, Lebanese nationalists. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, I see a lot of parallels with, like, the predominance of Islamism in a lot of uh, places mm -hmm. in the Middle East as well where you know they they identify with a victimhood narrative post 9 11 that's mm -hmm. like very much about um you know okay we've been in a press class and so now like everything we do is justified and if you question it you're a bigot right um, well, what were we talking about earlier yeah. identity identifying yeah the word identity i learned this from my dad the word identity um literally in, from Latin means to make the same. Right. So okay. you're saying you are, I am the same as this category. I am, yeah. you merge with it. Well, if I am an Israeli or a Zionist or a Jew, and that, like that's what I am, mm -hmm. or I am straight or queer or white or whatever, or a mustache haver, you know, if I think that makes me who I am, mm -hmm. well, then if you threaten any, if you question any of the premises of that group or it's like a personal it's attack. a personal yeah. affront and it's and it's an attack on my well what's the word zion what, what's the phrase israel loves to bandy about right to exist yeah how can you argue with someone who says you're threatening my right to exist yeah so that's a narrative that i think is something that i've always had a problem with well, you should because if you think that like a certain form of state doesn't have the right to exist you're not necessarily saying that a person that like doesn't have a right to exist. As Chomsky points out, God love him. No state has a right to exist. States yeah. don't exist by virtue of having a right. They exist by virtue of the will of their people. Yeah, but I, I definitely see this in a lot of like lib discourse, you know, where it's like you think that like any critique of any kind of politics is an attack on the personhood of someone who shares that kind of identity well, you or see it in the gender debates yeah it's exactly. all over that you know which is it, it which makes me so sad because clearly people are very traumatized they're very scared mm -hmm. and they're very you know alert to being having the little that they have taken away from them mm -hmm. but how can you have a conversation when what's at stake is your existence 
Yeah. As opposed to like, okay, what are your interests? What are my interests? What what's your what are your definitions? What are my definitions? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, high, the, the, the pitch to which that conversation immediately goes mm -hmm. is one at which no nothing can be resolved. Nothing can even be said. Right. Because yeah. like literally biologically, physiologically, we can either be in growth mode or survival mode or defense mm -hmm. mode. Yeah, the language of existence has always bothered me in that respect because yeah. I don't think like most groups, unless you're like some fucking weirdo ethno-nationalist, like whatever, that wants like genocide or whatever, you're not really talking about a group's existence nope. when, when you're discoursing, you know? Yeah. You may be questioning their version of their identity. You may be like, so for instance, a, criti a critic of Zionism. Yeah. Like for instance, me. I'm not questioning Israelis' right to exist. Yeah. But I don't think anyone has an inherent right to say my version of myself vis-a-vis -vis the world is the truth and anyone who questions it is my enemy. Yeah, 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 yeah. When you That's get into that, all of a sudden, now you're, you're reifying your, your particular ontology. Yeah. If I may be philosophical about it. You're saying yeah. that my frame of reference for the world mm -hmm. is I mean of course and it, it indicates a certain insecurity because if I have to be if I have to have my view of everything validated yeah. otherwise everything crumbles well what is how how strong is my sense of myself yeah well I I think it actually is very demeaning to like oneself you know and, and it's well like, it expresses something I think yeah well I think you know with a lot of uh, modern feminist victimhood narratives. I think what's something that's put me off of it was the kind of victimized language that mm -hmm. has been like any sort of debate in this realm is like an attack. And I'm like, no, like I'm a grown ass. Well, yeah, like <laughs> like I can handle this shit. Like it's yeah. not an it's not attacking my being. It's not violence, like or whatever the fuck you want to call it. Like, well, I, I, literal violence is one of the. It, I mean, it's so sad. I don't want to laugh at it, but like when people say it's literal violence, that literal means that, violence. Right. Well, we got to do the hand clap. But that that literally means that literally means that there is no literal violence. Yeah. No. Like that, no. like violence actually doesn't talk about areas. Ken's but like dying. Ken, Ken looks really really spent at this point. <laughs> no, 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 but, but I was, I was gonna riff like you're invalidating their, I don't know if, if how dare you say there's no literal violence? I don't know. I'm, very, yeah, I'm very tired. I'm not gonna say. The thing is, there is violence. With there is, there violence. is, there is literal violence. I would never be a violence. When you denier. call everything literal violence, then there's, then nothing is literal violence. How dare That's you true. invalidate literal violence? <laughs> and I just, again, I just look at the Zionist example, you know, which is maybe an unfair analogy because we're talking about a colonialist imperialist state but it's the it's the one i grew up with right mm -hmm. and i saw that you want to talk about fragility underneath the bluster and underneath the bravado and the militarism what you're saying is anyone who questions yeah anything about how we operate anyone who says the way you operate affects me and i might have a say about it is denying my right to exist and that means i get to obliterate them I don't know. I don't want to live in that world. Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. So Seth Rogen did not apologize to me. <laughs> he just DM'd me out of the blue. He, I, he must have seen a company. He wasn't even following me prior to this. We hadn't spoken in like 20 years. Right. Okay. I, you know, wow. and I actually haven't seen that many of his movies because to me, he's just still little Seth and I'd rather keep him yeah. that way in my mind, you know? Um, and also, I'm not sure if his 
style of humor is quite my my, my jam, but mm-hmm. he's funny and he's, yeah. he's done good shit. And he uh, just out of the blue, I I on some random Twitter thread that I, I'm surprised he saw. Yeah, I didn't even tag him. I said, wait a minute. He apologized to the head of the Jewish Federation, and he says no. And he wrote to me out of the blue. He's like, nope. My mom made me call him and have a conversation with him. And his That's claim funny, that I apologize to him worse. is not what happened. Well, it's funny because they were talking about like Oedipal rage. And then he's like, my mom made me do it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think my parents would ever like make me apologize to people, but they do definitely tell me all the time to be careful. She didn't make him. She asked him sweetly the way a Jewish mother does. And then you do what she okay, says. True. If you love me, you'll make the call. I'm just, I'm sitting here in the dark. You sound like Bertie. <laughs> sitting here in the dark. And at the end of the day, you either love your mother or you don't. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> yeah, that, like, that's like very funny sounding. Um, yeah. Literal violence. Literal violence. I think we should no, call that literal violence. Yeah. Um, liminal violence. <laughs> Wait, what does liminal mean again? Uh, in between, like in the in between spaces, sort of neither, oh, nice. either in one can, in one space or another somewhere. Subliminal. Cool, yeah. like the liminal consciousness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess liminal consciousness would be like consciousness. in between consciousness and waking. And unconscious. Unconscious, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it is definitely. I think it's wrap time. Word. The episode. So, what should we wrap? Do you, you want to? want some Biggie? You want some? Uh, some Kanye. Two Life Crew. Do you want to rap for us? You're the, you the champion of New York. Or follow up. Speaking of problematic, can a white man rap on a podcast these days? I'm not, I'm asking seriously. I, I think so. I think so. Oh yeah, there's Eminem. There's Machine Gun Kelly. Most cultures they, that you rhyme. They're rapping with. I'm a big Vinnie Paz fan, actually. I hate to, like, out myself on the pod, but yeah. I love Vinnie Paz, and I went to his show recently, and I got punched in the head, and I still loved it. Wow. Well, Even though I'm pretty sure I got concussed, but it's fine. All right, so, I, like I said, I'm a two-time hip-hop karaoke New York City championship finalist. We did a hip-hop karaoke reunion on Zoom at the beginning of COVID. It was one of the funnest times I've had in a long time. And I did this song, which I also did at hip-hop karaoke here at Lucky Bar in Victoria, which before the end times was happening the, end times, the yeah. first Thursday of every month. Uh, and it's a song by two guys, two yeah, guys. by Run the Jewels who met each other. Oh, yeah. Who met each other basically, they're, they're my age. Really? And my friend who lives, who's a midwife here in Victoria, went Mike. to middle school with LP. Really? In Brooklyn, yeah. 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 I just found this out. But anyway, you know, white guy from Brooklyn, black dude from Atlanta, become best, best, best friends and make so the cute. best music of their careers. They've been dope since forever, but now all of a sudden they're getting their shine. And I love that idea. Good workout like, music. Good workout music. So, so I'll, I'll, you know, I will drop, I will drop a few bars. If oh, play it. We've never had anyone perform on this podcast, so this is. I'm just gonna, ca- I'm just gonna casually. Should we call in Young Heezy for the? Uh... <laughs> Here we Honestly, are. we are the business today. Fuck shit is finished today. RT and J, we dropped a tablet of acid today. We're the new PB and J, we dropped a classic today. We did a tablet of acid today. Let's touch with the matches and ashes away. Skirt, we dash away. Donna and Dixon, the fish that's blasting away. Doctors of death, curing our patients of breath. We are the pain you can trust. Crooked at work, cooking up curses and slurs. Smoking my brain into mush. I became famous for flaming you fucks. Both of my 
Maiming my way through the brush, there is no taming or training of me and my bro. Move like a man, but I'm animal raw. That's what yes. I'll, I'll finish there for tonight. I'll drink to that, bro. Word. Wow, that was, that was great. Yeah. yeah, I've introduced Daniel to White Claw, which is like, I'm an, a White Claw evangelist. I'm not sure that me and White Claw will be seeing each other. Either. This is the only... Get, ask Young Heezy if he wants to play a song. Heezy! No. No answering. Okay. Oh, no, he's getting up. Oh, fuck. Would you like to, would you like to close? Well, get in here, bro. Would you like to close off the pod for us today? With what? You can sing a song. A striptease. You guys don't do video. An audio, an audio striptease. Yeah, an audio striptease. <laughs> we need to hear each piece of clothing, like. Yeah. Unacceptable pod, fam. Today we are going to close off the pod with a young, heezy striptease. Um, but it's, it's going to be audio striptease. Do I, hear, do I hear a guitar? Oh, you hear a guitar <laughs> coming on. Okay, uh, thanks. Hey, wait, 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 wait. Once you finish your song, can you finish with the theme song? Like, do your version? What theme song? Oh, I can't remember how to play it, but okay. I can try. Dude, I could do like the, all the uh, sound effects too. Okay. So out of key. <laughs> you guys should, I could write you a, I love writing parody songs. I could write you a, a, a version, you know, an unacceptable theme song to the tune of Unforgettable by Nat King Cole. That'd be unacceptable. sick. Unacceptable. That's what you are. Uh. Okay, well, also cancelable. Sex positive. Woo! Hey, that's a, that's a little, little, uh, little 
special tune for you guys. We'll see you all uh, next week. Thanks for listening.